When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Project Dublin Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. this episode of the show the podcast stops in west virginia as we talk to amanda ballingee about upland hunting bird dogs and art this is episode number 128 Project Upland Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, creators of the most comprehensive digital mapping system for hunters. Download the Hunt app from the Google Play or iTunes store today. Use the promo code PUP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. If you want to get the most out of your dog, you need nutrition that holds nothing back. To help unleash your dog's maximum potential, check out the new Yukonuba Premium Performance lineup at yukonubasportingdog.com. And by CZ USA, shotguns designed with the Upland Hunter in mind, from the Bob White and Sharptail side-by-sides to the Upland Ultralight, Wing Shooter Elite, over and unders. They've got pumps, they've got semi-autos. CZ USA has a shotgun for you. Head over to cz-usa.com to learn more. And by Gumleaf USA, high-quality, handcrafted, 
premium rubber boots. Keep your feet dry, warm, and comfortable. Head over to gumleafusa.com and use the promo code PUP10 to save 10% on your next pair of boots. And by Dr. Callers. For over 30 years, Dr. has collaborated with industry professionals to create class-leading tools for e-collar training, GPS tracking, and more to support bird dog owners in developing top-notch dogs. Learn more at Doctra.com. And by Electronic Shooters Protection, custom-molded, custom-fit electronic hearing protection, some of the most advanced technology in electronic hearing protection and enhancement. Learn more at ESPAmerica.com. And by Sage and Breaker, makers of gun cleaning products that protect legacies, the legacy of your firearm, the legacy of the sport, and the legacy of passing both down to future generations. Sage and Breaker lives, breathes, and makes everything at the highest caliber possible, and they are proud to pass that caliber of craftsmanship on to you. Learn more at sageandbreaker.com. And by Trinity Kennels, home of the Epignol Breton, French Brittany Spaniels from Champion Budlines, field tested and family approved for over 30 years. Learn more about Trinity Kennels by checking out Project Upland podcast number 88 or visiting trinitykennels.org. And finally by Dakota 283 Kennels, unparalleled protection, one-piece rotomold design, frame steel door, everything you and your dog need in a kennel for a safe and successful hunting trip. Check out the redesigned website, the kennels, and everything else Dakota283 has to offer by visiting Dakota283.com. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Raymond from down in Texas. Raymond sent me a little feedback a while ago on our episode that we did with Garmin, how he was able to put that to use with some of his hunting partners in the field. Jason Quayle down in Texas sent me a picture of him and his bird dog. I love hearing about people's hunts and stories and the specific ways that the podcast either entertains or educates our listeners. That's what we aim to do. Thank you, Raymond. Project Upland t-shirt headed your way very soon. Anybody listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is leave us a rating, leave us a review in your podcast app. Those ones really help us out. Subscribe to the podcast, share the podcast, send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. We do love to hear from our listeners. You can email me at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, it's New Year's Eve, everybody. This is it for 2020, last episode of the year, and tomorrow brings with it a new year and a new start. I think a lot of folks are looking forward to 2021. I know I've got a lot to be thankful for, even in 2020. Despite everything that went on and happened, I'm still here doing these podcasts, which means I've got a lot to be thankful for. So I hope everybody has fun tonight. Stay safe. Get out hunting this weekend if you still can. And I want to wish everybody a very happy new year. Thank you for being with us episode after episode. We appreciate it. All right, this week's show, we are joined by Amanda Ballingy, up and hunter from West Virginia. She's also an artist. She was also recently featured in our latest project up in film called perspectives i highly encourage you to check out that film for a little bit different look at amanda's story but we jump right into it today with her talk about her background her intro to upland hunting and her experience with a brand new english setter puppy over the last year and this current hunting season hope you enjoy this one happy new year everybody let's welcome into the conversation and on to the project upland podcast amanda balangy Amanda, welcome to the Project Upland Podcast. Thank you for joining me. And could you please be so kind to remind me how to pronounce <laughs> your last name? Um, it's Amanda Ballingy. So, yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for joining us. Why don't you let us know where are we talking to you from today? Yeah, um, so I'm located in southern West Virginia. <clears throat> I'm right outside of Beckley. So I'm about an hour or so away from the Virginia border. Okay. So. 
So it's grouse season down in that part of the country. Yep. Yep. Grouse season up until the end of February. So did we, did we keep you out of the woods today with our scheduling? <laughs> no, I'm actually been working on commission work this week, but hopefully okay. next week I'll be good to go and uh, make the most of the last uh, little bit we have of the season. So uh, me and Rohan both are ready to roll. <laughs> yep. It's that, that time of year. I know in, in your part of the country and a kind of a, uh, alluding to the fact that it's things are definitely winding down my rough grouse season up here in the great lakes closes this upcoming sunday and oh. uh it's been a really good one i have taken full advantage of of the season so far and if i don't get out again i'll be i'll be content uh regardless but yeah. there might be it might be another walk or two for me before sunday we'll see well we i do want to get a little bit of a upland update from you and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about but in this case, I do want you to tell us a little bit about your work and some of the things that keep you busy because unlike some jobs, they actually uh, have ties to Upland and, and some of the things that we're going to be talking about today. You get to spend some time working on things that are relevant to our conversation. Right. So um, with my art business, I primarily work in Upland art and I, the past few years actually has been really targeted for um, gun dog portraits. So I work with clients in creating portraits of their gun dogs and stuff. And I've really, um, really enjoyed doing that. I enjoy hearing the stories of people's dogs and, you know, come to find out everyone loves their dogs as much as we do. <laughs> and, um, that's super special. And I've been really busy with that. But, um, in the next, next coming year, I plan to hope kind of branch out some and, um, create more original artwork for people and whatnot, but I'll always be doing commissions. Um, they're just too special to not do for people. So if somebody does commission a, a piece, do you request a little story or a snippet of the bird dog or do they just have to send you a photo? Um, well, yeah, typically the process is like, they'll send me one or more reference photos and we kind of go through what will work best and I can even make edits of those photos. So in that case, I can make like a digital mock-up for clients for them to review and make sure they like it before I could dive in and put it on paper or canvas. But um, it's not required for them to give me stories, but, you know, it's always welcome. I enjoy hearing about the different breeds. You probably breeds. don't have to ask. <laughs> no, <much>. no, not <laughs> usually. We so, tend to overshare. <laughs> yeah, and I enjoy it. I love it. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So where did the artistry begin for you? And I guess before we go any further with that, we will say for the folks that haven't seen it yet or caught wind of it, there was a recent film, Project Up and Film, just released, starring you and your dogs yes. and your husband and your dad and a, you know, a whole cast of characters. Yeah. It, was a, it was a great film. I, I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed hearing some of the story and kind of I mean, one of the questions I ask almost everybody on this podcast is how they got into upland hunting. And that's one of the things that, as you all know, the, the person that shot the film, Adam Regeer, has become quite the storyteller oh, himself. Wow. And he really captured a lot of that in the film. Yeah, he's very, very talented. I was really thankful that he was the one to come down and spend a week with him. But he did a phenomenal job. Yeah, and we'll, I will definitely put a link to that in the show notes. Folks can, can go check it out. But it's our uh, latest film release on projectupland.com, YouTube's all over the place. But with that said, artistry, where did that begin? Did you always have, were you always sketching, drawing? How did that start for you? Yeah, um, I suppose I've done it for as long as I can remember. It was always um, something I've enjoyed. And it wasn't until, I guess, in high school that I started considering doing it you know, as a, 
a career, I guess you would say. It doesn't feel like a career. It feels like a pastime because I love it so much. But um, uh, yeah, so then I started taking it seriously, studied some graphic design and realized that I love digital stuff, but I really like the traditional mediums of oil paints and graphite and whatnot. And with me loving um, Upland and gun dogs and stuff, I wanted to offer you know, what I have to offer to other people that enjoy the same things as I do. So, yeah. And so naturally as, as you pursued art, your other, I don't know if it's a competing passion, I guess they're kind of working in tandem, but your passion for Upland became, you know, one of your most prominent subjects. Yeah. And it works out because I get to make my own schedule and take time off during, uh, in October and whatnot. So, uh, yeah. That is nice. There's, yeah. there's a lot of a lot of folks that would like to figure that out. I'm getting better at it. I'm, yeah. I'm in my my current situation, I'm able to flex around enough in the fall to really take advantage. And I've got you know I've got the family and the little kid at home, so that's important. But oh, I live yeah. close enough to the birds that yeah. I can get out and chase them, which is good. It's good for the dogs and good for the soul. Oh yeah. <laughs> so again, the upland part of your story is I, I would say it's it's you can gather it by watching the film, but let's hear it a little bit here from straight from you, Amanda. Talk to me about how upland hunting became a part of your life. Um, well, it started when I was just super young. I was introduced to hunting from the get go when I was just a little girl. Um, always tag along with my dad and he's had a handful of dogs throughout the years. And, um, I went through a phase when I was older where I didn't hunt as much and get out as much. Cause I felt like I didn't have the time for that thing. But then once, um, I married my husband, Sam, we began hunting together again. I kind of got more into hunting and, um, we dabbled in upland hunting. Um, we have a Weimaraner Shotzi who's now 11 years old and we pretty much would grouse hunt when we wasn't bow hunting and it was kind of yeah. more casual. And then this year, you know, I kind of made the decision that I was going to take it all on. I have a personality where I kind of get obsessed, obsessed with things that I'm interested in. And I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it all the way. So uh, this year was my first real year of hunting independently, putting all my time and effort into it. Um, we got a new pup and yep. took our first out-of-state trip. So this year has been about, it's been a lot of firsts this year, but it has been it's been a blast. It's been a blur of year. It's flown by, but I've yeah. enjoyed every minute of it. So we're going to dive into that year <laughs> yeah. a little bit because I know it's been it's been a big focus for you. And again, a lot of firsts. It's interesting. I I find it awesome to get perspectives. When, you know, when when folks are going through some of that stuff and kind of yeah. how how can we relate to that? But going back to Shotzi, the Weimaraner, when when you got him was the intention that he would be a bird dog? Was it kind of, he'd be a pet and we'll take him hunting? What, what was the intention? So the intention wasn't to hunt her at all. Um, okay. I was, it's, I was still at home in high school and I wanted a dog desperately. And, um, I won't dare say the breed that I wanted cause it's embarrassing <laughs> to look back at it now, but my dad <laughs> was hunting at the time and, um, we had a Weimaraner solo and okay. he was getting older, and he thought that was a great opportunity to get another bird dog. So he wow. said the stipulation. Yeah, very clever. <laughs> so he said the stipulation where it had to be a bird dog. So I was okay. familiar with Wimes. So I said, okay, you know, Wimeronner, because they're a great family dog and whatnot. So um, we got a Wime from Kevin Jar in Minnesota from Cat Brock Kennels, and okay. um, that was Shotzi. 
and that was somehow 11 years ago. It doesn't seem like it, but, um, yeah, I didn't hunt her much. I, I helped a lot with training. I was super interested in for whatever reason. I didn't, I didn't really take up with grouse hunting. I think I was intimidating by intimidated by just the challenge of it. So I would always go with my dad and he was the one primarily hunting her. And little did I know that within a few years, it would really contribute to me stepping in and really finding a new perspective to um, grouse hunting and woodcock hunting, just upland hunting in general. Um, When I would first shoot a bird over her. And that was kind of the turning point of my perspective of grouse hunting. And that's what really sold me on it was just, uh, it's one thing to watch, you know, other dogs do it, but when it's your dog, there's just this connection and it's something so special about it. So, yep. I know the dogs are a big, they can be a game changer for a lot of folks. For me, for me, they were, you know, I had a, I had a, a deep passion for bird hunting, but since getting my dog and, and, and really getting to hunt with a lot of other people's dogs, it's definitely changed the way I pursue it and the way yeah. I feel about it. And I'm certainly not alone in that, but your, so your dad had dogs growing up, yep. the one wine solo, were there other breeds involved? Cause I know oh, he's yeah. got, doesn't he have a pointer now? Yeah. He has a pointer now. Okay. Oh, when okay. I was really young, it was a Brittany Dixie. Okay. And, okay. um, and then for a brief time we had an English setter which um, I believe going back to her is what left an impression on me to now get a, have an English setter. Okay. Um, and then we had Solo, the wine runner, and then now he has um, Ellie, and she's an English pointer. And um, she was the one who really, just watching her in the woods is something else. The drive that dog has is, um, is insane. <laughs> so um, <laughs> watching her in comparison to like Shotzi, like a more versatile dog, it was just... Um, total different hunting styles. Um, and that's what yeah. led me to believe that I personally kind of wanted a dog with a little more drive, a little more point mm-hmm. and, um, not quite ready for a pointer. I don't know if I ever will be, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. Do you think your dad will ever reach a point where he gets another one of the same breed or is he just going to keep mixing it up? <laughs> um, yeah, well, he loves the range of Ellie. She has a pretty wide range. Um, okay. And like, you know, with bird numbers, the way they are here, it really helps have a dog to cover a lot of ground, but he's actually, um, hopefully expecting to get a new setter pup this spring. Okay. So yeah, that'll be exciting. Yeah. But I don't think that Ellie will be the last pointer he has. So we'll, we'll just see. (laughs) Yeah. Has he primarily, is he a primarily been a mountain grouse hunter? Are there, are there other forms of upland hunting that get worked in? Um, no, I mean, he's made a couple trips out to um, South Dakota. Okay. But, you know, primarily it's all just uh, grouse hunting here in West Virginia. And then more recently, woodcock hunting as well, because right. they're real special. Um, we make the most of them when they come through. So Yeah. What's the status right now? Are you covered up in woodcock? Are they are they d- down there right now? Um, I believe... There's probably some still lingering, but for the most part, they're gone. Um, they're gone, okay. Yeah. Usually, like, the first couple weeks of November is when we really get into, good, like, good flights with them, so. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we had, this was the first year in a few years that ours left, I mean, for the most part, they left prior to the season ending, which is usually the first week in November, and I was just checking my logs, and I 
was Flushing Woodcock on October 30th, so pretty close yeah. to the end, and that's that's pretty typical. And then I, we had some really funky weather this year, and I <laughs> randomly, like mid-November, which after the season was closed, I flushed one lone woodcock, which it just, at that time, it felt like he was uh, he was really straggling behind, so yeah. I hoped he was heading south at that <laughs> I point. I hope he made it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we had, we had some ridiculous 70-degree weather in the first part of November and stuff. It was just... Uh, it was kind of an odd weather year. And now, as, as I've talked about on a few of the most recent episodes, we've had some really good December weather for grouse hunting. Yeah, so that's what a year. It's been, a, it's been an odd weather odd weather year, but it really really paid off in the end for sure. Yeah. All right. So we talked about Shotzi the Wyme, and then you alluded to getting your next dog, which happened earlier this year. Rohan, the English setter. Yep. Tell us a little bit about you. Kind of, you kind of said that your dad had a setter, and that s- sort of maybe led you into this. But tell us a little bit about your decision making process on finding this dog and taking Rohan home. Yeah. So, like I said, I think it was my dad's English setter Misty that left an impression on me. She was just super sweet, so sweet yeah. at home. And then, but then in the woods, I mean, she was. Um, ready to go. She had a ton of drive. So I knew for several years that I wanted an English setter and I knew I wanted kind of a field bred setter, you know, with a lot of drive, but not too much, um, range, I suppose. But I didn't know, I wasn't really sure what kennel I wanted to go to or anything. So I was just kind of had my eyes open for a couple of years because I knew I didn't want to get a dog until Shotzi was pretty old. So, um, I actually remember, the specific picture, because I had this picture of what an English setter I wanted looked like. And I remember seeing this photo because like when you're an artist, you're always, you always have your eyes open for reference photos or whatnot, whether it's like the entire picture or just unique lighting in it or whatever. And I saw this photo of these two setters and they were just drop dead gorgeous. And um, they were actually Northwood setters. And I believe it was, uh, Minerva and okay. Aphrodite, if I'm getting those names right. And I was like, whoa, oh my gosh, you know, that is what I want a setter to look like. It's like that yeah. right there to me personally. Yeah. And through the years, I just kept like spotting these setters, like through social media, Instagram, people having dogs. I was like, gosh, I really like the way that dog looks. And it turns out they're Northwood. So then I was like, I need to look into these dogs. So I'm yeah. um, sorry to keep up with Jerry and his blog posts and whatnot and really got interested. And Rohan, though he's not, he's not from Northwoods, but he's Northwoods on one side. Um, yeah. They booked up for several years. So we were left with the decision whether to wait a couple years or just kind of jump on getting a dog right here, right now. And they referred me to a Charles Wolf in Duluth and said that he had bred his setter to one of their dogs. Um, it was Gordon that they, he bred it to. Yep. So um, we were kind of on the fence because I was hoping, you know, we're considering maybe moving, and um, I was hoping to maybe be somewhere else before we get a pub. But I figured I'd give him a call anyways, and then by the end of that phone conversation, I was on the list to get a pub. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the rest is history. Looking back at it now, I just um, – I couldn't see me having any other dog than Rohan. He is, I love that dog to absolute pieces. Um, He just has so much of it just comes natural to him in a home. He's level-headed. He's calm. um, Super, super sweet. But then he just has, he's bold and has tons of drive. And um, he's, 
I mean, for me as a novice dog handler, it's been fairly easy. Just so, so much of it is just natural for him. It's just um, relying mostly on genetics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely set yourself up for success in that regard. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the things that we've, you know, for folks that didn't fully pick up on that, you're you're referring to Northwoods Bird Dogs, Jerry Coulter, Betsy Danielson out of Sandstone, Minnesota. It's where my two dogs are from, and um, we've had Jerry on the podcast a couple of times, so if folks want to yeah. check that out, they can. But, yeah, Jerry talks about that where – I think he even said it on the last podcast where some people might have a tendency. And this is a little different than what you're saying, but to say, well, I don't hunt very much, so I don't need a real good dog. You yeah. know? But Jerry's point is if you don't hunt very much, you need a really good dog because yeah. you need to be able to maximize the genetics. You need to set yourself up for as much success as possible yeah. and hopefully get as much as you can in the genetics and the instincts. And yeah. and I know that's what that's certainly what he preaches, and I've obviously got a, some – hands-on experience with his dogs and my own biases of course <laughs> yeah. But yeah it's it's really fun and i've i've had a i've had fun following along with you and rohan's journey a little bit i recall when were those pups born that was early this year right yeah it was february 5th yeah because so, yeah. i remember getting a i got a, a message from a listener of the podcast and he was telling me that there was a litter of puppies on the ground in that like had some ties to north woods and he, he was telling me because because I think it was right away in the early in the pandemic period, and I don't oh, yeah. know if I was talking about something, but he was saying, you know, if you want to bring your son over and see a bunch of puppies, you know, it'd be a good Aww. idea. And the, and the guys in Duluth, so and <laughs> and that was, you know, long story short, that was the litter that Rohan yeah. came out of. And was he sent down to you? Um. So so yeah, that was dicey because that was right when everything started locking down and whatnot right. with COVID. And we didn't know what was going to happen. So, like, airports were shutting down. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to have to make this long haul to pick this pup up, which is fine. But it wasn't what we were planning on. But um, one of his other clients had a couple pups. And he lived in Pennsylvania, I believe, Pittsburgh. And okay. so he had a private jet and was flying his pups there. So he just went ahead and brought Rohan on. So then we just had to drive up to... Um, Pittsburgh, which was a lot closer than Duluth, so Rohan traveling in style. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> private jet. Yeah, no kidding. It was That's so cool. sweet though, because when we picked him up, there was three other pups in there with him, and Sam went up to the kennel, and like Rohan was like way in the back, and he comes up to the front. It's like he knew it was us. It was so sweet. Yeah. It was so sweet. That's cool. Yeah. You alluded to a little bit that when you got Shotzi the idea was, you know, it was kind of, you were at a, at a point where you weren't diving full on into upland hunting at that point. It was kind of your dad's dog. Your dad was doing some training, which brings me ahead to Rohan. It's kind of your first go at it really like your dog, you're doing yeah. everything, training, intro, all that stuff. Talk to me about where was your head at when you got Rohan? Were you overwhelmed? Were you... <laughs> that's, that's the word I was going to use. Yeah. And I, I think you and I are similar in the sense that you know, you mentioned diving deep on things and going full in. And so yep. I'm guessing you were researching and reading <laughs> books and doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I was overwhelmed and like, I'm still overwhelmed, especially this coming year when I really started to work with them with low and whatnot. Yeah. But looking back at it, I was, I was really just overcomplicating everything. I thought everything was like do or die. Yep. And so much of it just came natural to them. Um, I had a base foundation of knowledge and training like from my dad and him working right. with dogs. But then I have I've made a lot of mutual friends um 
through social media, actually, with people yeah. who train dogs, you know, the way that I kind of resonate with. Yeah. And I was always asking them questions and whatnot and them helping me along the way. So um, I probably, I may have worked with them too much because <laughs> I was really eager to just like have this mm-hmm. pup and get him on birds and everything. But I mean, he turned out fine. Um, so this year it was just about, I did some basic obedience training, nothing too extensive. Um, I really just did that to kind of build a relationship between me and him and to get him started on learning how to um, produce a reward and that reward being through me. And um, from there, it kind of translated into like working with birds and that reward, you know, going from food to birds and um, as far as bird training, it was just super, super basic stuff. Just really building up his drive and excitement with birds, letting him chase them. Yeah, he ate a quail once, and, <laughs> and I mean, like, just and he's still okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's still okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the point, him pointing, totally natural. Um, I was just trying to get him as enthusiastic and excited about birds as possible. Yeah. Um, I've still yet to actually woe him on a birds or anything and all that has just been absolutely natural yeah. um so next year we'll kind of hone in more on him being more steady but this year is just about trying to expose him to as much wild birds as possible um yeah. and that looks a little different here than it would like in your neck of the woods i suppose yeah. but um that's not like um, from lack of effort, um, we put in a lot of miles and, yeah. um, we try our best and, you know, sometimes I may get discouraged with our bird numbers or whatnot, but, um, Rowan, he doesn't, he goes out there as if, um, there's tons of them out there for him to find tons of drive. And it's just, uh, it is a joy to work with him and to be behind him and watch him do his thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah that's really cool. I know that, you know, I was following along. I was eagerly anticipating my puppy at that time when <laughs> yeah. you had Rohan, and I was kind of following along, you know, given the the Northwoods connection and knowing that the dog was out of Duluth. And I was actually just talking to a friend of mine, Mike, who he's got a, a young setter puppy yesterday. And we were, this was in my experience and his experience, this was a, a very good year in the grouse woods in this part of the world. Yeah. And we were just you know, kind of commenting about how fortunate we are to be able to put our dogs on, on that many, many birds. And I know that, you know, you're not in the same situation at that point, but again, a dog with a high drive, that's going to go out and find the birds that are there. You know, I'm sure Rohan is no less excited about it than, than some of these other dogs that are getting into more birds. But what has it been like down there hunting and trying to get Rohan on birds? I mean, can you go out and can you expect to get him into a bird do you have days where you 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 don't find a single one? I mean, that's always possible, but yeah, I mean, we've had plenty of days where we've put in a hard day's work and haven't seen anything. Yeah. But um, on average, you can expect one to two birds in a day, um, okay. grouse. Um, yep. To be fair, we haven't been specifically pursuing grouse too awful much um, after we came back down from Minnesota. Our season okay. was open in October and it was still, I mean, we went from like it being snowy up there to 75 degrees here and it was like still thick and everything. We, um, were after grouse for about a month. And then once Woodcock was here, I figured I'm just going to try to make the absolute most of the Woodcock being here. And we, you know, really specifically 
target a woodcock um, up until deer season, and then that's kind of we've uh, where we took a break. But we still yeah. um, bumped a few grouse um, while we were hunting woodcocks, so that yeah. was exciting. Is from from your understanding, is it because now you've been up here in Minnesota, so you got to see how you know woodcock and grouse cover very much overlap and. On any yes. given walk, you can pretty much expect to see both, you know, relatively speaking. Is it different there where, where you're chasing woodcock? You Because you kind of sounded so, like, hey, we bumped a grouse while we were yeah. finding woodcock. Um, so, like, their specific cover is different, but yeah. it definitely can be, like, beside grouse cover as well, too. Yeah, so it can be close. Okay. Yeah. So, like, typically with woodcock, there's two different types of covers we'll target. And we're still kind of really trying to narrow down of where exactly they are because it's so hit and miss. I mean, you'll be somewhere where they always are, and you, you can miss a flight. You'll be there one day. Sure. They're not there. And the next day, like, a flight's in, and it is, like, game on. So, um Typically, we'll hunt creek bottoms, and it'll be, you know, it's always where it's flat, because, like, here in the mountains, you need flat land for it to be damp enough for woodcock. So, like, in creek bottoms, you're looking for, like, hawthorns, autumn olive, um, some goldenrod and whatnot. But then this year, we actually really concentrated on old coal strips, and normally towards the top of a mountain, I don't know why, but that's just seemed to be where the woodcock was. And on those coal strips, they grew up, and there's a lot of goldenrod, but not too much. You still want the ground to be open enough for them to sure. probe and whatnot. Yep. And if it's broke up with some trees, like we have this one strip where there's, I believe to be big tooth aspen. I don't know. It looks like aspen. <laughs> and um, some alders. And that is really good for woodcock. But typically... Like on those coal strips where the road is, it's really thick and brushy, yeah. and woodcock will be in there. But then you have like on your mountain sides, it's kind of more timber and open for grouse. So you yeah. can kind of get both of them when you're hunting them, and that's yeah. what we ended up doing. So once Rohan figured out that there was grouse up on the hillside, it was hard to kind of rein them back in down to the woodcock, which <laughs> I don't blame them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to circle back a little bit to something you said about when you've got specifically bird dog number one. It's, this has been, it's been really unique going through it for the second time for me. And, you know, there, and there's people listening to this that have, you know, had 10, 20 puppies, you know, that sort of thing. But again, for those folks that are just starting out that, and I'm sure everybody doesn't do it, but like thinking everything is life or death. And am I going to, am I going to make the one <laughs> yeah. mistake? You know, like th things like me, you know, making your dog gun shy or making them afraid of birds. I mean, you do read about that stuff and those are things we're all trying to avoid that sort of thing. And yeah. it's, it sounds like a big deal because it can be, but when you're in that sort of feeble beginner's state of mind, it could be, it can be overwhelming and you can yeah. wonder like, yes, is today going to be the day where <laughs> I ruin this dog forever? But yeah. Was there anything that happened with, with you and Rohan this year where maybe you thought that happened or you just like, as time went on, you just realized like how big of a deal you made about some of these things. And there isn't anything, I guess, real specific that I feel like I thought I was like, here it is. I screwed him up. Um, yeah. Yeah. He did go through this phase at about maybe six months where he just figured he didn't need to listen to me 
and he was just going to go out and do his thing. <sighs> and it seemed like no level of correction was, um, he was responding to it. So, yeah. <laughs> and that was like leading up to us about to leave for Minnesota. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to go up there and lose my dog. Yeah. Um, but then that simmered down. And I mean, I'm, from that, it was, it's just like, um, I feel like I learned from that experience that they're going to be a pup. They're going to go through these phases and grow out of them. And here I was thinking, you know, I have this wild maniac on my hands and I'm not <laughs> going to ever be able to, uh, get a, get any control over him. But, um, yeah. but now he's fine. So, but I'm, I'm told that I'm to expect another phase like that when he gets more independent. And I'm seeing a little bit of that now. Um, one specific day, we we got into a real good flight of woodcock. And typically, he's really good to pay attention to me, know what direction we're going. And um, that day, he was just doing his own thing. And we had to have several um, breaks where we collected ourselves and calmed down yeah. and um, kind of have a little reset and then um, go about the day. So yeah. we'll see. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and, and I think, I mean, ultimately what you're driving at really, and I think that's what I, you know, we, we learned through experience. Like the, these dogs are not robots. They're not the same yeah. every day. They're going to have ups and downs. And as they learn, they're going to, you know, you're going to have days where you're pulling your hair out and then you're going to have days where the stars and the moon aligned and yeah. everything seems perfect but again to expect that same thing day after day you know until you have a lot of trust and confidence in the dog you know the, the those early stages you're going to see a lot and the yeah. pups are going to do a lot and i've had similar things with rose where you know the timing for us this year was a little bit different in that you know you got rohan earlier this year so you had a lot of time to kill yeah. you know in, in air quotes before hunting season so you found yourself doing some more yard work and training and that sort of stuff, you know, developing that relationship where when I got Rose, she was so young. I, I pretty much knew right away. It was, you know, I'm barely going to get intro to birds and gun done just as yeah. the season was going. And, and I just decided I wasn't really going to do anything else other than just take her for walks in the woods. So I, I really have no recall on her, nothing other than just like, what the relationship that we've developed through the hunting season, but there's really nothing being reinforced. And so I, I have moments where Rose has a thing where she knows when we, we go out and do a loop in the woods and we get back and she sees the truck. She doesn't want to go back in the oh, truck. Yeah. She will. I mean, I, I've heard of dogs doing this. My other dog Hartley did not do this, but Rose will take off and just go oh. on like a little walkabout at that point, just knowing like she doesn't want to get back in and she's, she'll go and point a bird or chase a deer or something. Yeah. And I'm, I'm standing there like I'm getting mad at my, you know, to myself, like just knowing there's nothing I can do, but she comes back or she has come back every time so yeah. far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Rohan goes on what we call Jeep points. Um, as soon as we get back to the Jeep, he'll all of a sudden find these birds and go on point and it's, you know, nothing's there, but he's yeah. like, Hey, come over here. And he lures yep. me over there. Nothing's there. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've, I've actually heard, I've I've heard that before too, and I've heard Jerry Coulter actually actually talk about okay. dogs doing that. And oh, yeah, okay. and I mean they're you spend enough time around these dogs, you realize they they are smart. Uh, <laughs> they they're are smart. Uh, they're a lot smarter than we often <laughs> yeah. give give them credit for, which is a good thing. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about the Minnesota trip 
couple aspects here. You mentioned it was your first out-of-state trip, so there's kind of that new experience. But then the other side of, the th- of it was, of course, Rohan being a young dog. You wanted to come up and, I assume, get him on more birds, and that was one of the goals of coming up to yeah. Minnesota. Yeah. Talk to me about that trip a little bit. Yeah, so um, we had an absolute blast coming up there. Um, shout out to Bailey. Um, she made that trip possible to us. Um, she was a tremendous help and, you know, pointing us in the right direction and even hooking us up with some people. So, um, I give her all the credit for our time up there, but, um, yeah, the thing that stands out to me the most is the cover because yeah, I see it on Instagram. I see you guys out there, but the B in it was just absolutely gorgeous. And, um, so symmetrical. I mean, like your woods, it's totally different than ours. Um, but yeah, the first two days up there, we kind of um, hunted on our own, and I shot on the first day the first wild bird over Rohan because our season wasn't in yet. So I guess right. So um, yep. we kicked our season off up there, right? And um, it was a woodcock, and that was so exciting. And then, um, and then the next day went on, and we flushed some woodcock, some grouse. Um, Rohan wasn't really quite. Um, pinning the grouse down yet until later in the day and he finally pinned down this one grouse and um, me approaching the grouse it kind of fluttered up into the top of the spruce Rohan's like he's saying he's holding his ground and holding and I'm panicking because I've done seen this bird and I'm like I'm never gonna hit him because (laughs) like (laughs) the the pressure is on yeah Yep. So I like have Sam go in there and flush him and um I you know swung, hit the bird somehow, and um Rohan went up, kind of retrieved it, but yep. that's okay. And um it was actually my first grouse as well. Um awesome. Yeah, I mean that's I was cool. tickled, tickled to death, got a little emotional. Um it was just so so thrilling to go up there and kind of have success after you know, hunting a little bit here. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so, and then Bailey hooked us up with Tom Windorski. I hope I'm yep. pronouncing his last name yeah, right. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it. Okay, good. Um, he was an absolute blast to be around and taught us a lot and showed us around. And he actually had two of Jerry's pups with him throughout the few days we hunted with him. I guess it's yeah. Rose's litter mates. Yeah. Uh, Sunny yeah. and Wendy. And they were... Yeah. They were amazing. They were too stinking cute. And, yeah. um, but yeah, we loved our trip up there. We ended up hooking up with Bailey towards the end of the week and hunting with her and Mogul and Tom. And then, um, at the end of the week, we wrapped it all up going to, um, Mark's house and having dinner. And that was real special. And it was, it was a real pleasant experience. But I mean, what stood out to us the most was just the people. They were so welcoming. They were yeah. so helpful. Um, here it can be a little seclusive. I think people are a little more um, tight-lipped about covers and sharing yeah. stuff because you know we just don't have the birds that you guys have. Right. You're very blessed. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a product of really the re- the resource. Yeah, I, I could yeah. see if if we were faced with that same thing. You know, I'm I'm sure it would be yeah. different as well. But. Yeah, but we absolutely loved it and uh, plan to spend maybe a little more time up there next fall. So. Yeah, that's cool. I, I guess I I sort of forgot about the fact that by you making that 
early trip, you're kind of getting your season started earlier yeah. and you're not, it's not yeah. like you're competing with anything else. I mean, there are other things you could be doing, but yeah, that's a good way to get a jump on things for right. sure. So next year you think you'll make another trip up North? Uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. We spent a week up there and we're thinking possibly maybe, um, winging two weeks up there and um, maybe even making a trip out more out west and seeing Rohan stretch his legs on the prairie. Um, I hope yeah. that works out. So Yeah. Well, how did you feel about, again, we were joking a little bit earlier about kind of the weird weather year. And when you were here in October, there was some snow. Yeah. <laughs> was it significant snow? I don't recall. It was a few or, inches. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you actually got covered up in snow, which, again, that can happen at any time, really, once once you get past October, but it's not typical. You know, yeah. we typically don't have full coverage snow on the ground until usually November. But other than that, timing felt good. Do you think you, you'll move it up or later next year? Yeah, I mean, timing was good. I may move it up. I mean, yeah. if we, especially if you spend two weeks up there, I may do the right. week before and then that week. But, um, yeah. I mean, that's my birthday week, and I really can't think of a better way to spend my birthday <laughs> week than up in Minnesota. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah, no kidding. A season of first then. So first couple of wild birds for Rohan and yep. your first grouse. That was yep. definitely a successful trip. Yep. And then back home, you've been spending the rest of the time kind of hunting down around there. Is there anything else, any other hunts on the books this year or just kind of riding the season out there? Possibly just riding the season out here. I would okay. really like to make a trip, a quick trip, to maybe North Carolina hunt some woodcock. Okay. Um that's not set in stone or anything we'll just see how it goes but um if not then we'll just make the most of what we have here um up until the end of february and then by that time woodcock should be kind of trickling back through making their way back up north so yeah we'll try to harass them a little bit i guess (laughs) on their way up so (laughs) yeah yeah and when does that close then uh for woodcock yeah. Our season just actually closed, so we'll just be oh, working on dogs. Oh, yeah, 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 just training on them. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, i am got a few days left of the actual season, but I'm already eagerly anticipating uh, getting rows out in the spring and running oh, on some spring birds, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you about, oh, yeah, circling back a little bit to kind of Rohan's training and development, we, we didn't talk specifically, but I'd be curious how you approached intro to birds and intro to gun because those are two i think things for if somebody has their first bird dog Mm -hmm. those are two of the big moments in kind of that early stage of development so i'd be curious to get your perspectives and experience on it going through it yeah so um i mean intro to birds was just really about getting him as excited as possible about birds so I mean, I would throw pigeons on the ground for him to kind of chase off, you know, di- maybe dizzy him up a little bit, let him chase him. Yeah. Um, we did that for a while until he was just, you know, super enthusiastic and bold with the birds. And then he, once he started really chasing them all the way back to the coop, <laughs> like he'd be long gone. Um, that's when I started to feel more comfortable and feeling like I could start um, introducing him to guns. Yeah. And, um, I guess just simply put, I would, you know, have a, have a bag of pigeons and we'd go on our walks and I would throw them for him. And then once he would start chasing them, once he get a certain distance away, I would shoot behind my back with a blank 
And um, as long as it was like no reaction with him, no hesitation or anything, I would keep doing that and slowly, you know, closing the distance until eventually I could, you know, shoot over him when he was like pointing the birds. But um, I really took my time with that, maybe longer than, you know, a pro would. But I was like, that was the one thing that I did not want to mess up was him being gunshot. So. Yeah, yeah I, I feel like I recall reading and hearing about, you know, various methods of introducing a dog to gunfire, a.k.a. loud noises. You know, there's the banging the pots and pans over their heads where they're eating and stuff. And, again, I, I, I know that there have been or still are other ways to do it, but the, the method that you describe seems to be kind of the prevailing thing that people talk about. It's what I've done with both of my dogs, and that is – in very simple ways, as you described it, having your dogs basically chasing a flushing bird, something that they're yeah. fully focused and excited on, and then having the shot be something that's kind of in the background. Right. And you're watching the dog for any sign of reaction or hesitation that they were not comfortable with that sound. And then if you, you know, we won't get into it all here, but if you do see that, then there are, you know, you basically need to stop, yep. step back, yep. kind of reassess, give the dog some time and, and sort that out. And it's just explained very well. Uh, there was an episode that the gun dog at yourself guys did that they talked about gun intro. They probably done it on a few episodes. It was very good, but yeah. I just kind of find it interesting that there are like some of these other methods, but like, again, that method seems to be tried and true. That, yeah. Tried and true. Yeah. It, it definitely, definitely works. I think. Yeah. There was a couple times when we first started that he would flinch or maybe like look over his shoulder and at that point, I would just quit, wait yep. a couple of weeks, and then pick back up. Because, um, yeah, that's just one thing that I did not want to mess up on. And Rohan, in general, he's, like, in comparison to um, my mom, he is really bold. So, I mean, like, maybe that process would have looked a little different or taken longer with another dog. But typically, he is, like, super bold, like, really focused-minded. Once yep. he was chasing those birds, it was... It was okay. <laughs> yeah. that I, I'm glad you mentioned that, actually, because, again, a lot of times when you hear people describe that intro to gun method, we kind of, you skim it and you talk about how everything works perfectly. Yeah. But the real thing to focus on is, like, what do you do when something does happen? And like you mentioned, Rohan, you know, he stopped. You know, yeah. He didn't freak out. He didn't run the other way. But he was curious. But, it was enough to was interrupt curious. that thought. Yep. Yeah. And so at that point, you just you just ended the ended the procedure for that day and gave him some time yeah. and just came back to it later. Yeah. Rose, my puppy, I would call her a bold independent dog, but she had a healthy dose of she's got like a healthy dose of caution and hesitation mm-hmm. in her to the point that early on this summer I saw some things and I was kind of like, "Oh, that's interesting." You know, she's pretty cautious and and one thing happened, we we're we we're walking a very quiet morning. I was walking around this little cul-de-sac with the pup, she was probably, I mean, nine, 10 weeks old, really yeah. young. And we're walking and it was quiet. And one of my neighbors, I, I, we didn't see it, but she came out and just started rolling her garbage can back to her house, you know, just started rolling it. And the, the garbage can made kind of a loud noise and oh. Rose kind of freaked out. And she like ran to the end of her leash and she was like, didn't want to move. And I just, you know, slowly, we just kept walking. And one of the things there that I think you read or hear about is, it's important at that point for the handler not to make a big deal. Mm-hmm. You got to maintain maintain your even keel and just keep walking. But I only bring that up to say that at that time, in that moment, I was like, "Oh wow!" Like 
is this dog going to be scared of loud noises? Yeah. Or Thanks a lot, something? lady. You don't ruin my bird dog. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, now, now i got to have a, a grudge on my neighbor for a reason that's not her fault. But, yeah. but long story short, you know, it was it was months later when we eventually moved on to the gun intro and kind of did it did it in the same way that you and I described and didn't have any issues. But yeah, this kind of speaks to the resilience of the dogs and, and again, to not freak out if something does happen with your dog. I mean, if you... If something traumatic or serious does happen, you want to consult a pro, yeah. um, not just take what Nick and Amanda say on this yeah. pod- podcast. <laughs> Please I mean, don't. Definitely, yeah, call your breeder, but the dogs are resilient and they can handle a lot, that's for sure. Yeah. And one thing I've learned a lot, I mean, like, I guess he's my first dog from training from independently from a pup till now, yeah. which he's still a puppy. Um, he'll yeah. just be 11 months old um, next week. But it's just learn how to read your dog. And yeah. that's something that I've really, I've really um, had to work on this year. It's just like learning his cues and how to read him when he's nervous or when he's getting birdie. Or it's just like this learning process of um, just how to read your dog and how to work together. So, and he's my yeah. first dog. Like I'm sure people with more right. experience can attest more to that. So, right. Well, I think you know, something to take away from that too is, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but by reading your dog, it's, it's, you're observing and most people, myself included, you have to find, you have to kind of resist the urge to be talking. Yeah. Stay quiet. Don't be spewing a bunch of garbage commands and stuff at your dog, effectively teaching the dog to ignore you, you know, observe, read the dog, pay attention to what it's doing, let it think, let it figure things out. And I think, you know, early on, especially for a beginner, kind of the less you say, the better. And and that's even, I would say that's amplified in a hunting scenario too. That's where you really want to let, let your dog, you know, give it its head and let it learn on its own. Yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, when I first started out, I was constantly chatting with him when we were going yeah. box and stuff. And um, I think that really kind of hindered him listening to me because he was just starting to tune me out. So then I right. just finally figured out I just needed to shut up, just let him do his thing. If he wants to come back to me, he'll find me. And yeah, so that good tip. Yeah. <laughs> Not well, talk I too just, much. <laughs> I just found that, you know, now I just, I, I don't talk to myself any less. Like I'm yeah. always talking to myself and I'm, <laughs> and I'm in my head and I'm, I'm muttering <laughs> un, under my breath, but I try to keep, I try to, you know, make sure Rose doesn't hear that. Like I said, when she's, yeah. when she's running off and I'm standing by the truck and I'm like mad for no reason, really. I, when she comes back, I've, I've been very good about praising her and, yeah. and, you know, making sure that she knows, Hey, you came back. That's all, <laughs> that's all that matters. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned, you know, Rohan's 11 months old. You're, you're well into your first season here and I'm sure eagerly awaiting, Next season, you've got a long journey ahead of you. What what would be the things that you're thinking about for this upcoming off season? You mentioned wool earlier. Anything reflecting back on this first season? Like, what's what are your goals next year? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess next year, obviously, we'll work on woe and steadying up a lot. I don't know to what extent that'll be. I would like for him to be broke. Um, uh, shot a uh, wing and shot. Um. We'll see how that goes. I'll try my best, (laughs) which, you know, I have some people, um, to go to for questions and whatnot. And like Tom, I told him, you know, 
I'm going to be bugging you um, come next spring and summer when it comes to me breaking them. But other than that, gosh, I, I really can't think of anything other than just, you know, his manners of um, hunting for me and not sure. rewarding him hunting independently or whatnot. Um, cause I'm anticipating this independent phase that I feel coming on. So, um, yeah, that's what I'll really be concentrating on is making sure that he's hunting for me, not independently, um, checking in and, you know, not doing his own thing. So, yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that earlier too. I, I've heard that, you know, kind of like the second season, the dogs can be sort of hell on wheels and really, really have a lot of independence and they're, they're physically capable. I don't know if I recall, I actually recall going through anything that whether or not I felt it at the time, it hasn't really stuck with me today yeah. with Hartley, you know, going, going back to then, but I'm, I'm like preparing myself for that too. Cause I've, you know, I've continued to hear from other folks and for Rose, it's, we've kind of had this like dream-like season where everything's sort of gone pretty well. We've had our moments, of course, but she's had a really, really good first season for a puppy. And so now yeah. I'm like, all right, let's let's keep, again, keep the expectations in line and even keel and be prepared for <laughs> every, all the wheels to fall <laughs> yeah. off next year, you know, because if you, if you set your expectations too high, then you you set yourself up for disappointment. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Is she retrieving? Um. She she's picking up birds. She's yes. picking up birds. She she doesn't walk them right back to me. And again, I actually I asked Jerry about that because I would say that she is showing more of a desire to retrieve than Hartley ever did. I don't mm-hmm. recall Hartley really picking up birds the way that Rose did. Mm-hmm. And she had a couple of really nice moments. I mean, early like in this would have been in early October where she had it was a puppy point. You know, she flash pointed and was on the trail. And I think she started to move a little bit and then two grouse flushed to my left and I, one of them was flushing low and I shot and I winged it and I knew the bird was winged and I was worried immediately because I had a, I don't even know how old she was. I mean, four months old at the time. And I started running towards this bird or moving towards it as fast as I could through the cover. And I was calling Rose, Rose, you know, come along with me. And she came up with me and I remember, I, I visibly remember, I kind of got hung up in the brush and this grouse ran off because I saw it immediately start to run and I was just thinking, worst case scenario. Rose caught up to me, passed me, and I heard the bell go for probably another 30 yards and I could hear the bell stop and I went up there and she had the grouse. Oh, and I was like, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I was like basically jumping up and down. <laughs> and so she, just a couple of things like that that she's done and then Fast forward a couple of months and she started picking up some grouse and she picked up a rooster when we were in South Dakota and was running around with that. Oh my so goodness. If I if I had any recall on the dog, she might be considered a natural retriever. Yeah. At this point, no kidding. Definitely a positive sign. Yeah. Has has Rohan picked up some birds? He loves to pick them up. Okay. And um the first grouse I shot over him, he picked it up and brought it like halfway to me and then dropped it. Yep. And I was praising him and everything. But ever since then, he hasn't really carried anything. But he definitely wants to pick birds up. And he's really yep. interested in them. And I'm undecided on what to do with retrieving. It would be nice yep. to have a dog to retrieve. But it's not something that I'm, like, real bent on. So I don't, I don't know if I'll work with him on retrieving. Yep. Like, if I do, it'll be real casual. Um, yeah. See if he'll maybe want to do it naturally. So. That was that was always my mentality, and I would say that it still kind of is. I I don't think I really even trust myself enough as a trainer to do like a legitimate force fetch no. or anything like that. But 
There's no doubt. Yeah. A, a dog that dog that retrieves, that's a good thing for sure. But yeah. I, I have been happy with, with Hartley's ability to hunt dead and find birds. I yeah. mean, a retrieve is always better, but as long as the dog is, again, being a team player and, and helping you find birds, putting yeah. birds in your bag that you otherwise would not have. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I do want to talk to you a little bit about some Garmin related stuff and tracking and logging. Cause I know okay. that you take notes and you, and you keep logs a little bit and yeah. I'm not necessarily, we don't need to dive into exactly the journals and stuff you're keeping, but some of the things I've seen on some of your Instagram stories and how you're using the Garmin ecosystem to track some of your hunts. I'm curious how curious what your system is for tracking and, and cataloging some of your yeah. hunt data. So I run um, the Alpha 200i and I'm loving it because I upgraded from the Pro 550. So, I mean, it is a pretty big upgrade. I'm really pleased yeah. with it. As far as like tracking and keeping logs of during hunts you can you know on the device you can actually start a new hunt and it tracks your time and mileage and where you are and everything and it automatically syncs to your garmin explore app on your phone and that's and it saves everything into like collections so like on that day what all you did and where all you hunted and everything and that's pretty much how i've been tracking everything into my actual physical journal because I love writing stuff down. I mean, like yeah. I love gear yeah. and everything, but there's something about writing it down. Yeah. Um, and I also, you know, of course, link it with my um, Phoenix six. And I've actually started doing like tracking an activity. You have. And, yeah. Had okay. like a specific activity for Upland. And yep. I, I heard where you're like doing the lap thing yep. where it drops pins. And that's interesting. I haven't done that. <laughs> But um, yeah. I love that it keeps up with, like, the weather and all that stuff. Yes. So, I yep. mean, like, that's neat because sometimes I don't come home and just immediately go to my journal and write this stuff down. So, I'm having to remember some of the details, like, weather and whatnot. So, that's really interesting. Yep. But um, Yeah, the weather and the wind data, uh, I've described it before on here. But it's to anybody that keeps a hunting journal, I wouldn't write off the Garmin activity tracking because again, yeah, it's, it's extremely helpful as far as like putting you in a time place, the duration, the miles you walked, it'll give you the temperature. Yeah. Though, yeah. Very basic. Like, was it cloudy? Was it sunny? Yeah. And, but wind direction, I mean, a lot of stuff that's important, I think to right. people's hunting journal. And yeah. yeah, I like that a lot. And the, the lap timer thing to drop the flush counts is, yeah. that's been, there's a couple of little tweaks that you have to do. And in programming the watch, you have to, you got to turn, you have to turn the lap button off and then you have to reprogram, you reprogram another button to be your lap timer. And what that ultimately oh. allows you to do is start an activity and then back out of that activity. This is the thing because most people that have the Garmin watches like you and I, you want it so you can track your dog and look down and see where where your dog yep. is based on your Garmin. So you can back out of the activity, you can go to the dog tracker and you can still drop the flushes with the lap timer while you're right. doing that whole thing. And and the the Garmin website tells you how to do it. I've had a few people reach out and message me um, yeah. to figure it out and I've I basically have the the instructions copied and pasted now. So if, <laughs> if anybody's curious, you can message me and I'll help you through. Yeah, that. yeah. I just figured out that you can actually back out of the activity and like track your dog because that's was right. my hangout for a while. It's like well, yes. I have to pick one or the other. But yeah, I figured out you can actually back out. Yeah. So because I love tracking them on my watch, um, 
that's incredibly helpful, especially when he's on point and I'm not trying to like be ready to mount and like looking at my yes. alpha and everything. So that's one of those things that we've talked about a little bit before, but you know, with technology, we can get carried away a little bit, but ever since going to that Garmin watch, I wasn't sure how much I would like it, but it's very, very convenient. Yeah. I mean, even, even though you've got the handheld, which tells you it's a different deal, especially when you're close, if you're close to your dog and you don't know exactly what's going on to have to look down at a handheld is a lot different than glancing at your watch yeah. where you can actually still have your gun up and everything. Yeah. That's, um, it's, that's a really good addition to the yeah, system. It's very minimal. I mean, just a split second, you're, you're yeah. done. Which, you know, sometimes I'm, I may spend too much time on my phone or on the alpha because I'm trying to make the most out of this piece of cover and make sure like I cover everything and I'm like constantly looking at aerial mapping and stuff. And what is really neat that I haven't tried yet, I hope to do it next week if I get out, is you can actually make a route through waypoints on your alpha. So if you pre-plan it, then it'll kind of like point you in the direction that you need to go. So you're not constantly like looking at your mapping and whatnot. Wow. That's kind of cool. Yeah. So I'm like looking forward to trying that out. So yeah, I, I do that a lot. I look at, you know, probably more than I should, but having satellite imagery with you on the go and being able to see your position on the satellite imagery. I mean, that's, it's made my hunting more effective, no doubt. Oh Yeah. One of the things I'm most curious about with your setup, because this was when I first got my alpha, the Garmin Explorer app didn't exist. And so I wasn't doing this. And so mm-hmm. I, the missing link to what I track is I never have any of my dog's tracks or anything. And yeah. like you, I always start a new hunt at the beginning of the hunt. You know, when we leave the truck, start a new hunt, mark, mark the truck, that sort of thing. Do I need to sync my alpha to the Garmin Explorer app? What do I need to do to get that stuff going to the... And can you even do it with the Alpha 100? Because I have the 100. Do you know? I don't know about the 100. Okay. I would okay. imagine you can. Okay. But I'm not going to promise that because I don't have no experience with the 100. But, okay. yeah, you go in in the app and it has, like, um, my devices. Oh, yeah, you go find your device. Yeah, and you okay. just sync it up. And then once you do it once, it's a one-time deal. It just automatically does it if your phone is within reach. So Okay. Because I think, you know, I'm always tracking my individual track, but I think in a lot of, you know, folks will ask, do you have the dog's track too? And I don't just because I haven't messed with it, but that's probably the more interesting thing really is where did my dog go? You know, I walked three and a half miles, but like, what's the ground that my dog covered? Yeah. And it's, it's really fascinating, you know, seeing how they work and like, you know, you go through cover thinking you need to cover it all, but you do not. I mean, your dog is, is covering like five times as much as you are. So yeah. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Well, I'm definitely going to check out the, I'm going to see if I can sync my alpha 100 to the phone. Cause there's something about the phone. I, I assume I'm not alone in this, but having to plug my alpha into my computer is just, it seems like such a barrier that I, oh, I yeah. you know, I never used base <laughs> camp. I never did any of that, but yeah. boy, if something can wirelessly sync to my phone, that that's, that's simple. That's what's actually got me going with my new GoPro. They sync to the phone and I can edit the clips right on my phone. It just makes oh, it so much yeah. easier than having to plug into the computer. Yeah. It might be a little different for you being an artist. I'm sure you, you're probably, you're using your computer. I think maybe, well, a maybe not as much as you think. <laughs> <laughs> I use my phone and I use my iPad too. Cause you know, the well, larger yeah, imagery yeah. and stuff, especially when I'm trying to like look for new covers and stuff, which I'm still new at, but, um, yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, Amanda, I definitely appreciate your time. I, I will ask you this now, cause we 
we kind of covered your background and we talked a lot about, you know, some of the first and some of the, where you're at, I would say in the process of bird dogs and upland hunting for folks out there listening that are maybe in a similar spot, new thinking about it on the fence, any tidbits of wisdom or advice you would share when it comes to bird hunting or that you can think of? Oh gosh. Well, um, I guess the biggest help would be if you can, you know, hook up with somebody as a mentor or something. I mean, there's nothing can replace the years of experience. Yeah. Second of all, would just to be, just get out there and figure it out. Cause you know, I spent years just kind of tagging along with dad, but I feel like in this year, just me hunting on my own, I've learned so much cause there's something about you having the responsibility of figuring out where you're going to go, how you're going to walk it, reading your dog, yeah. trying to read birds. Um, you just learn so much just by doing it, kind of doing it all on your own. And it's, it's, um, it's really rewarding too. So that would be my tip. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes, you know, you find yourself in a situation where you're kind of taking the back seat and there's somebody, it's, it's pretty common. Somebody in the group is kind of leading the hunt, planning, organizing, coordinating. And there's a difference when, when you're doing all that, yeah. you know, by yourself and, and what you're learning and taking away from actually setting those plans, seeing, seeing what happened, seeing how much you screwed up based on your plan, <laughs> yeah. and adjusting from there. You know? Yeah. But if it yeah. comes together, it is so rewarding. For um, sure. So yeah. rewarding. So, well, that's awesome. So uh, again, I'm going to link up the film. We'll put that in the show notes. People can check that out. Highly encourage them to watch it and get a little bit more of a visual look and, and narrative behind Amanda's story and some of the things that keep her busy and inspire her. It's very, very cool. Um, worth watching. And again, Adam Regeer did the film. He's, he's phenomenal. Does yes, an awesome job. Where can folks go to learn a little bit more about perhaps some of your art, maybe commission, commission something, get a little bit more information from you, Amanda. Um, yeah. So that would be my site. Um, it's just amandaballengy.com. And I'm also, um, on Instagram and Facebook, um, at just at Amanda Ballengy. So um, if cool. you shoot me a message uh, or email either way, I'll get back to you and I'll be more than happy to answer any questions or anything. So good deal. Well, thank you again for joining us on this episode of the podcast, Amanda. I will look forward to keeping in touch with you and following along with you and Rohan and yep. your adventures and uh, want to wish you a really happy new year and you have a great rest of the hunting oh, season. You too. And I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much. All right. See you, Amanda. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to the Project Upland Podcast. Quick reminder that this episode was brought to you by Onyx Hunt, Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food, CZ USA Shotguns, Gumleaf USA, Dogtra Collars, ESP Hearing Protection, Trinity Kennels, and Dakota 283 Kennels. Don't forget to visit ProjectUpland.com to read, watch, and listen to more great upland hunting content. And please, if you enjoyed this episode of the show, leave the podcast a rating and a review that really helps us out and it helps more people find the show. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Project Up and Podcast.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.